it hurts. That I have to remember that the system I was born into was built to work against me. Hurts that I have to remember. Hurts that I have to... Hurts that I actually have to remember that you will happily invest more money into the preservation of wildlife than you ever will into the preservation of black life. Let me ask y'all a question. When y'all turn on your TVs and witness another black body laid out on your concrete, what do y'all see? Another murder? <laughs> another sad story? Another funeral? Do you see the aftermath? I see another child that lost their father. Another single woman trying to raise a man. Another broken home which leads to another child that grows up and suffers the same fate as their father. Which means another black woman that outlives her adolescent son. This country practices a culture that lacks equal rights for blacks. And we love to say that black don't crack me while y'all shatter our melanin like glass. Welcome to Justice Episode 4. And that voice that you just heard was Ronald Vinson in his spoken word, Letter to Your Flag. Uh, really looking forward to the conversations and discussions that we will be having with our special guest today, Aubrey Berry. Uh, glad to be here, man. Thanks for even including me. I'm honored. Like, this is really cool. I never really thought I'd be have the opportunity to do things like this. So I'm just thankful to God to be able to have this opportunity. And I, I thank God for you, man. Continue to continue to work, continue to fight. Thank you so much for being willing to to give some time for for this episode, for this podcast, and just for being willing to. Uh, open up this conversation and have this conversation right now. And hopefully this this will be beneficial to, to whoever is listening um, and, and shed a lot of light into uh, a lot of the topics that many of us have to confront with friends and with family um, and other people that we may know. So if you don't mind, go ahead and just share with us uh, who, who you are and what is uh, your role yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is Aubrey Berry. I'm a graduate of APU 2015. I'm also currently getting my master's in business management at APU. Uh, gra- uh, originally born and raised in Austin, Texas, been in California since 2010. My current role at APU is the stu- uh, program coordinator within the Student Center for Reconciliation and Diversity, or SCRD for short. And um, what I do is I, I oversee all the daily operations within that office. But I also serve as a mentor and 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 um, a, a guide a guide when it comes to our interns that's in the office, um, <clears throat> um, and also the ethnic organizations that we have on campus, whether that's Black Student Association, Latin American Student Association, Pacific Islander. We have seven in total. Those just a few. Honestly, what that office outside of all of our programs that we have is centered to create a safe space for students uh, of color to come and be themselves. Um, Being at a school where the majority is predominantly white, having a space for students to come where they can truly feel like they can just be and not have to uh, code switch and change up who they are and just relax is a gym. So that's kind of what we serve as. We're definitely open to everybody to come in and hang out in, in the students in, in, in the SCRD office, but our goal and our mission is really to cater to those students that are underrepresented and, uh, and give them a space where they can really just be themselves. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and, and dive in, into this first question. Um, obviously on Instagram, we've been seeing a lot uh, of, of, of posts and uh, a lot of uh, people speaking up about what is going on. And so I uh, just wanted to get your take on how effective do you believe social media activism is? Um, and when, you know, we, we have uh, things like, um, like the, the tag 10 friends um, for the Black Lives Matter chain on your Instagram story, 
Uh, when we have things like that, does, does that water down movements like Black Lives Matter uh, to a post um, and an Instagram story? Yeah, great question. You had two questions there. So for the yeah. first one, totally. um, I, I don't think that um, social social media activism uh, has watered down the Black Lives Matter movement at all. Honestly, I think this media activists, activists and those that have used that platform has given that a, a bigger and wider reach of a voice. Mm-hmm. So for example, currently we have this issue with George Floyd where this man was murdered on a camera. If we did not have the camera, if the platform of social media was not there, I can't honestly say that this man uh, would have found some type of justice to where we have now, mm-hmm. uh, where you have these four cops finally being arrested. Ahmaud Arbery, the man, if it wasn't for the fact that video leaked and then that with the video leaking, and again, put on these social media platforms and it's spreading like it did, I honestly do not believe those two men would have been arrested. Hmm. So I think uh, social media activism is a great tool, a great platform, especially when it's used in the right way to bring a voice to the voiceless. Now, when it comes to different posts like, uh, you know, tag 10, uh, 10 uh, Black people to uh, do whether it's, uh, you know, I think the most current one right now is uh, they have this tag, uh, tag a picture of yourself and tag your friend, 10 black men or, or vice versa to 10 black women. I think that's great because what that does is it shows that black, it, it's adding value to black community. It's, it's showing that we are more than just a culture. We are more than just, uh, you know, what we can provide and what we can give to you. We are a people, we're a person. We have value. So see it. That's, that's, that's how I see those uh, enacting. It's, it's a great way to build up the Black people and know that their lives matter in this case. So it really goes right along into the Black lives because you're uplifting. It's huge. Oh. So there, you know, and right now with in the videos that I've seen with, with the protests and, um, and on social media, um, there's, there's a lot of call for change right now um, and a lot of broad statements yeah. like systemic racism uh, mm-hmm. is being used. Um, and so um, even for our listeners um, and even for myself, uh, would it be possible for us to just take a moment and break down what exactly do we mean when we say a very broad statement like systemic racism. Um, how how do we explain that to someone who would maybe say either systemic racism doesn't exist, it's a myth, or just unsure of, of what that even looks like? Yeah, for sure. And, and even in that, systemic racism it can be very complex for those that don't really understand the totality of it. Hmm. Um, so to make it as simple as possible, for those that don't really understand what it means to uh, a systemic racism, it really what it really boils down to is privilege. So systemic is basically where you have systems in place where people um, within the majority have a leg up on those that are in the minority. So for example, you have uh, some white people or majority at the end of the day. That's kind of what it is. They're they're the majority because they're in power. They have a generational wealth that's been established to them. Or um, I don't know if you've ever seen a video for those that are listening, uh, or if you you may have, Josh, I don't know. But there's also this thing called the uh, privilege walk. So like uh, how many, where you ask questions simply, do you have family members that, or your parents, were they, are they college graduate? Uh, did you grow up learning about stocks? Uh, do you have family members that are in prison? Do you have, uh, or did you have to worry about what you, how you present yourself in front of others? Did you ever have to change the way you speak in front of others? Did you ever have to, like, it's, it's ask these type of questions. And if you are somebody in privilege, you're not going to necessarily, you're going to be more towards the beginning part of that, where in moving forward, you have a leg up. So you, you may more likely going to have people 
in your family that have graduated college, where you've talked about stocks, where you you have something, you, it literally, it's nothing that you've earned, but it's put you in a position to where you can you you can succeed. Where others, the minority, they already are starting uh, ten feet back. So they just to get to a point where it's equitable, or not just equitable, equal an equal playing field they're not they have to work harder just to get to that starting point where you white person would be just to be able to now go forward and build generational wealth or put their family in a better position so systemic racism in a sense deals with privilege it's really a system that's in place that makes those that are the majority um, give them a leg up on those that are not and i hope that kind of makes sense definitely so then having provided an, uh, an idea and a more holistic perspective of what systemic racism is, um, so then how do we, uh, as the people, play a role um, in putting an end to systemic racism? Josh, it's literally as simple as one thing. Vote. Mm-hmm. Literally go out and vote. And I'm not just talking about voting for those that are you know, the presidential elections and things like that, those are just as important. But you have to make yourself uh, more aware of your community elections. So your city board, your mayor, your uh, city council, school boards, you got to get more involved in those because those elected officials are the ones that's going to be impacting you in your local area. So those are the laws that are going to be input. They're going to be making laws and statutes and things that's going to be put in place that's going to affect you more on a uh, closer level than it would be on a federal level. So you got to go out there and vote. And it's, it's funny, I'm saying all this, and that's something that is a challenge to myself as well, because in, in the past, just being transparent, I would just vote just for the president and not knowing that or not even really realizing that it's also the local government that you got to pay more closer attention to as well mm-hmm. and be out there and vote. So the way we can really put it into systemic racism is voting and not just voting, but challenging those elected officials and putting pressure on them in a way to hold true to what they said that they're going to do. Mm-hmm. That's how you put it into systemic racism. Mm-hmm. So going, going local and, and voting, that's huge. Yeah. So with, with what you mentioned, so for anyone interested in uh, understanding how the voting process works, or even if maybe you are able to be registered and you haven't registered yet, um, I will have a link on the Anchor FM website uh, for this podcast uh, for anyone listening right now uh, to, to head over there um, and check out those resources um, and, and to get active and, and to vote uh, like, like Aubrey just mentioned. So. This is a this this is going to be an interesting question uh, because I feel like uh, this might be a a common uh, topic of debate uh, that definitely um, I've heard a lot of people have had to approach these conversations um, and the topic is all lives matter um, and so how would you respond to someone who wants to say all lives matter? Um, in response to the Black Lives Matter movement? It's a very relevant question in in the sense that this is something that keeps happening and this is a debate and a conversation. Um, But there's really two ways we can kind of approach this. Okay. One, the first one. All Lives Matter at the root of that whole organization or even just a statement because i'm not even sure if all lives matter is really organization let's just say that right there Mm. and i could be wrong but i don't believe that to be that the case however all lives matter birth was as a uh was a direct rebuttal to blacks black lives matter Mm. so if your premise of birthing an organization or a movement of all lives matter is to rebuttal somebody else uh talking about black lives matter then your whole purpose of all lives matter is completely destroyed because you're not even 
taking the time to include Black Lives Matter in that. You're not. Because how can all lives matter if you can't even acknowledge or identify that Black Lives Matter too? Hmm. And in this moment, Black Lives Matter, Black lives are in danger. Black lives are, hmm. are Black people. A lot, of, a lot of Black people do not feel valued or feel like people see them as a person. And history has shown that a lot of times people don't see. At one point, Black people were really considered property. Mm-hmm. So Black Lives Matter is really there to create value in the Black community and uplift. Mm-hmm. And All Lives Matter, when you say that to somebody else that is saying Black Lives Matter, is you're basically saying that your life does not matter. Mm-hmm. So, and, we can, and that's just one way to look at it. Another way to even look at this is from a, is from a biblical perspective, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, and I saw this the other day, and I thought this was a great thing, but because it, it really makes sense, and I'm about to go to it. Uh, but it basically talks about, um, if you look at Luke 15, okay. and I'm just going to summarize it, in a sense, and go off of the thing. So Luke 15, um, it talks it's the parable of the, 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 the lost mm-hmm. sheep. And in that, let's just say there's a hundred sheep, but one goes missing. Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one, the 99. But what about us? Don't we matter? And the 99 says, what about us? Don't we matter? And Jesus responds, of course, the 99 matters. But of course, you guys matter, the 99. But you're not the one in danger. The one that has gone out that has been, is the one that's currently in danger. So with that being said, the black lives matter, man. You know, it's, if Jesus sets that example in itself and is saying, okay, I'm willing to leave the 99 to go get one. Why can't we do the same thing? If we're, we're calling ourselves Christians, we're calling ourselves believers and followers of Jesus. If we can't even step away from ourselves mm-hmm. to see that the black community is hurting, that the black community is suffering and stand with them in this time so that and make changes so they're, li- so they're no longer in danger. How can all lives truly matter? We have to sit there and acknowledge the fact that black lives matter. Mm, powerful. So, you know, we're seeing now um, with, with the protests that are, that are saying um, pushing f- for that black lives do matter. Um, but then we have a group, uh, those in America and, and news outlets calling for these protests to be peaceful. So then what is your response to those who are saying that, you know, protests are okay, but as long as they remain peaceful. And that is in response to videos that have circulated of protests uh, have turned violent. Um, and so how would you respond uh, to someone who's saying the protests are okay um, as long as they remain peaceful and need to stay peaceful? I would simply say you can't have peace without discomfort. At the end of the day, to truly reach peace, especially in this time where we are, you have to be uncomfortable and be willing to sit in that discomfort so that we can reach peace. I, I'll, I'll be out, be one of the first ones to say, I, I don't agree with the looting. I don't agree with the rioting aspects that's been happening. And I think that's the problem right now. Those people that are calling for peace, those people that are calling for and in, 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 uh, in saying, speaking out against the rioting and all that type of stuff and, and calling these people all types of names and whatever, they're so vocal about that aspect, but have yet to acknowledge why they're doing it. Until you acknowledge, acknowledge the why, how can you truly call for peace? Now, there are some people out there doing it just because they're doing it, but the real root is people are hurting. And when you're able to identify that, then we really sit in that moment. And it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's when you could, we will be able to find peace. More importantly, the Black community has been doing peaceful protests for years. And each time we, we've done peaceful protests, we've been met with violence. 
So how many times can you expect somebody to truly stay peaceful when every time they do something or protest peacefully, you're, you're, you're talked down upon, you're beat, and in some cases even killed. Uh, a real current example is Colin Kaepernick was literally taking a knee doing a peaceful protest during the national anthem, taking a knee. out of a conversation he had with a Green Beret. He told him that taking a knee is a respectful way to protest in that way. And he did that and people crucified him for it and completely changed the narrative of what his reason for taking a knee was for, which was police brutality. And, and it's now funny for, what is that, four or five years later, you got a man taking a knee on somebody's neck and killing him and crucifying a man for something that he was trying to warn you about, but you know, and which now birthed what has happened now. So yeah, that would be my answer is really, you can't see peace until you really are willing to sit in that discomfort. So we have the protests. Um, we have the nation now in this, in, in this state, I would say of restlessness on both sides. Um, so where, where do we go from here now? Um, what, what tangibly, uh, do you feel like needs to happen out of the protests, um, that are happening right now? Um, so then we don't have the similar, something similar happening again in, in 10 years and, and the cycle continues. Yeah. Great. That's a great question. What needs to happen is there needs to be consequences that are established. Uh, so the reason why that cop felt so empowered to do what he did is because he obviously knew or felt in his heart and spirit that he was going to get away with it and nothing was going to happen to him. The reason why those uh, white men chased down Ahmaud Aubrey and killed him in the way that they did and bragged about it afterwards mm. to their friends mm. was because they they felt and knew that nothing was going to happen to them. Mm. The reason why you have police officers that just barge into uh, somebody's home and just start shooting and kill a, a Breonna Taylor in her bed and then say, oops, it was the wrong house. And then arrest the man, his, uh, Breonna Taylor's, uh, I believe it's her husband, arrest him for shooting back, which is his right, mm -hmm. and try to charge him for that and say, oops, wrong house. Oh, well, it is because they believe they can do that and nothing happens to them. So there has to be, it really goes back to the very first question, one of the first questions you asked when it comes to uh, systemic racism we got to go and fix the systems that are in place and that's also going to go that's not going to happen until we put the people in place by voting mm. that are going to go in and change rewrite the laws rewrite um the uh the legislation that's going to hold people accountable um, and make people have to really evaluate why they're doing what they're doing and think about it mm. because right now they're not thinking about it they're just doing what they feel like they can do mm. and it's becoming a power trip mm. so that's that's really what needs to that's that's what we need to do tangibly that was how we excuse me how we can prevent this from continuing to happen is we got to do what we have not done and that's what and that's literally changed the law, changed legislation, put people in, in leadership roles uh, through voting that have the same mindset that are there to do the right thing mm. and make sure and put people in place um, that are going to serve the community, not police them. Mm. Yeah. Um, with that, Writer uh, Jen Winston recently released a piece on what a future without the police would look like. Um, and it has started to gain some traction. Um, and she states that uh, police reform, and I quote, police reform doesn't work and uh, the solution is to defund the police, end quote. Uh, what are your thoughts on alternatives to policing 
Um, and would this be a step in the right direction to defund uh, our police force in America? Yeah, um, great question. I don't necessarily believe that we should defund the police and just completely take out the police. The police are in place for a reason. I mean, they're there in case of emergency or when things going wrong. That is the system that's in place for the people. So no, I don't believe they should be necessarily taken away, but I do believe that police reform is possible. The problem is um, they're not being held accountable in the right way. And there's, there's, there's this unspoken law within the police force where a cop is not supposed to tell on another cop or, and a cop is supposed to, like, you stick together, like, I don't care if you do something wrong, you're a cop, so I got you type thing. That has to be completely abolished, period. You got to hold each other accountable. And also you got to have, like I was just saying before, you got to have different system. Uh, we got to go and put uh, different legislation in, in place that's going to actually reform the police and not just do uh, just a surface level thing to make people feel like things are changing. Mm -hmm. um, but actually create change. And another way, when it comes to police, police should not be there to police people. They should be there to be a part of the community. Now, if they have to step in and, and help in de-escalate situations, that's what they're there for. That's why we have police. Mm -hmm. However, um, policing just the police is not what they should be doing at all. They should be there in the community, um, um, interacting with the community, growing with the community, letting them know who they are. And so it's, it's, a, it's a trust built up there. There has to be trust in order for policing to, uh, to work effectively in the way that it was probably intent, not probably, it was intended to be. Hmm. Policing, I, in, my, in my belief, I don't believe policing was intent. The overall intent was to be where we are now. I believe the overall purpose was to be a service member, uh, being a community person that if somebody to have a neutral party come in and de-escalate situations or to, or to help uh, people in need. That's, that's what police officers in my mind are, are supposed to be. Mm. Um, so that, that's what I would believe. Mm. Um, I understand why um, she would probably say that though, because that's a lot of hurt in that. And, also not just hurt in that statement, seeing a same consistent thing over and over again, mm -hmm. I get it. So if you feel like, oh, you, you keep saying police reform and nothing's changed, I get why she would say um, police reform doesn't, is not the solution. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I think that would actually create more trouble mm -hmm. by uh, defunding the police overall. Okay. Three days ago, uh, Candace Owens, who is a Black American uh, conservative commentator um, and a political activist, uh, she released a video um, that now has over a million views on uh, both on each Facebook and, and YouTube. Um, and I quote, uh, she says, George Floyd was a criminal, um, and just because he was a criminal doesn't mean he deserved to die. But why are we pretending that this criminal should be upheld as a martyr in Black America? End quote. Uh, she also states, and I quote, uh, this is why we have a toxic culture because nobody wants to tell the truth in Black America. Uh, it's so easy to be a victim, uh, easy to have white people bow down and apologize. It's crap. It's a lie. Uh, our biggest problem is us. It's why we don't talk about it when Black on Black crime happens end quote. Uh, in her video, she brings up uh, Chicago having the deadliest Memorial Day weekend uh, with over 40 people, black people shot. Um, and she brings up, why isn't this being brought up? Uh, and so what would your response uh, be to these comments uh, about black America and black culture? And are these statistics, she brings up something that might be missing from the narrative uh, of what is going on in our country right now? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, <laughs> Candace Owens is very interesting to me, uh, one, because personally, I, I, 
for her, I feel like she is a person that is allowing herself to be used to uh, deflect from what the real root issue is. And I don't even, I'm not sure if she truly realizes that for herself. But to address the situation, it's, it's a straight up deflection, point blank period, deflecting from what the real root of the issue is. Nobody ever said that George Floyd was perfect. His family has never said that he's perfect. Everybody has issues in their past. That's not the problem here. The problem is this man literally did everything right, even in being arrested. As a young Black man, one of the things that you are taught is how to, um, when you get to a certain age, is how to handle yourself when it comes to police. That's just a conversation that just has to happen, period. And in that conversation, you're taught to, you know, respect the police, speak clearly, don't make any sudden movements, keep your hand on the, on the dashboard or the steering wheel where they can see them. Don't do anything to make yourself feel threatened. I mean, I can, I can go on and on. Or if you get arrested, you know, just remain silent. Make sure that you're cooperating. Don't, you know, don't do anything to make them hurt you so you can, or make you feel like a threat. That way that you can actually live another day and fight it excuse me, fight it outside of that situation. So in this case with George Floyd, regardless of his history, regardless of uh, his past of being a criminal, whatever, this man literally was in handcuffs already cooperating with the police, but still was killed. His, his history and what he's done in his past does not matter. It's not about him being a martyr. Mm. He's being uplifted because he did everything right and was still killed. And that's that's the problem here. That she, that she, as well as a lot of other people are doing, you're trying to devalue a man that did nothing wrong in this moment. And let's just say, let's let's even look at it even deeper. The police were called on him because of a counterfeit $20 bill, which one hasn't even uh, been verified whether or not it was spent, uh, if it really was a counterfeit bill. But let's, let's really just sit on that for a minute. This man lost his life over $20. $20. And you're literally bringing up his history to... And you say like he shouldn't have died, but you basically what you're saying by bringing up his past, saying that he should he deserved to die, without you saying that, justifying oh well, he's not a martyr, he's he's done this, he's done that. Everybody has done things wrong. So what she's doing there is literally going against what she's saying that she's not doing. But and and I I'll continue to even kind of dive deeper into this as she talks about oh you know, black on black violence and, and how Chicago, like, honestly, I'm, I, I hate when people do that, bring up uh, black on black violence, or even talk about Chicago in a negative way, as this is the murder capital of the world. Because again, that, that dives into deflection. But the first part of that, you got, you know, de dealing with black on black violence, every race has violence and crime that happens within their own community. Whenever you have a bunch of people in one place, it's going to happen in some capacity. White on white crime is higher than black on black crime. It's period. Anybody, you can use that narrative for anything. But and she says why? She said why is she? Uh, why people are not talking about? You know the, all the you know up in uproars about black on black crime as much as they are about the policing part. They are. They are, you have people, and what are the people doing? Uh, you have people like Chance the Rapper that are donated millions of dollars to community programs to help uh, the organizations. Uh, and to help the people of his hometown Chicago, you got people like Carmen that has helped out organizations like that. You have other, or you got a lot of different programming and organizations that are there and in place. You have people that protest and do different things to try to stop the, and condemn the black on black violence that's happening in our communities. But do you see that on the media? No. 
And you want to know why? Because that takes away their ability to deflect and use that as a tactic to take away from the real root issue, which is the real root issue is that black lives do not matter to you. And you don't want to have to sit in discomfort and talk about it and deal with that issue. Hmm. And let's even dive a little deeper. <laughs> black on black crime is happening. Why is that happening? Well, one, the first part of that, you have black, when you have a bunch of people in one community, crime is going to happen within that community. But the fact that, well, one, black on black crime, you have uh, the policing there those that do those crimes are arrested, okay? And they, they, they're arrested and then get long sentences. But also, there are some that get away. Why is that? Because the community is, no, is, not, the community is not communicating with the police and telling them what they do know. And the, what is the root of that? They don't trust the police. They'd rather handle it themselves than tell the police this is what happened. We need you to take care of that. And then that goes right back again to the root issue. There's no trust there. There's no, there is no communities established between the police and the uh, black community, no trust between them too, where they're able to actually uh, help and assist. So if there's no trust, that now goes back into why you have a situation that just happened with George Floyd or that's been happening for years. A lot of it is just now being recorded. So it's, it's so much deeper, but the real root of the issue is that is a deflection tactic. And until you stop deflecting and deal with the root issue, we're gonna to continue to be in the same place. Yeah, those are good, those are good thoughts. I'm, uh, I'm gonna to have to listen back to this recording and write, write all that down, take notes. Um, because those are good, good things to think about. Out of, out of this conversation, and this is actually a conversation I had with someone last night too, was uh, they bring up that um, in reports that, you know, black people are killed less by police uh, than, than white people. Um, and with that, with that statistic, uh, you know, there, there are those that are trying to show and prove that the that systemic racism is is a myth and um that just the numbers don't show um what is happening so uh if you have any thoughts um that that you would like to share and how do we um approach a conversation uh, where someone tries to say that the numbers just don't show um because statistically it looks as though that black people are killed less by police um, than, than a white person. Well, first part of that, when it comes to statistics, you gotta also understand when it comes to that, for those that like numbers, you also gotta understand that the white, black community makes up about, I, think, I believe it's like 13% of the, the whole population mm-hmm. of the US. Mm-hmm. The white community is higher than the black community. How, therefore, of course, they're going to have their numbers going to be higher, okay, to some degree. But when you look at the reality of uh, the black community being less than the population of black community is less than the white community, mm-hmm. but still making up a huge majority of police brutality, that's the problem. And mm-hmm. then more, and then you also got to keep in mind. A lot of this stuff is not even reported or recorded. This has been happening for years. The it's not a rise of racism. Racism is literally just being filmed now. Hmm. This has been happening for years. How many times has these things happened undocumented that we know about? I mean, I can't even imagine what the actual number would show then, if we had the reality of what the real, excuse me, what the real number is. And then the next part of that is, I would simply just ask, like, why are you trying so hard not to see something that's blatantly in front of you? That's just like looking at a duck and trying to find every statistic as to why it's not a duck, even though it's a duck right in front of you. You know how stupid that is? And I I, I don't want to, that's probably bad to even say it like that, but that's just me being blunt. 
Yeah. You got to really look at what it is. If it quacks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck, man. Mm-hmm. So that that's really how I would really respond to that. Really look at if you if you're a numbers person, look if you're gonna look at numbers, look at the whole picture. But also ask yourself internally, why are you why are you trying to deny something so blatant in front of you? And what are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. What reality, how is that reality or gonna change when you finally allow yourself to see what is that gonna do to you when you finally see that? Because one thing that happens is once you see something, you can never unsee it, which is why a lot of people that have not spoken are speaking up now with this George Floyd situation because you cannot unsee that. about then um and in this in the whole heart of what this podcast is about um what what does justice mean um and what does justice look like um to you and from from your perspective yeah for sure um to me honestly the way i look at justice it is really what it is it's an acknowledgement um acknowledging a wrongdoing acknowledging what you did to somebody and how that impacted them. And then taking the steps uh, to atone and right that wrong. Um, it, it, it can go a lot deeper uh, with justice for a lot of different people. But for me personally, it really, the root of it and the heart of it is literally just taking the time and being honest enough to, uh, not just with yourself, but with that person to acknowledge that hurt that was caused by what you did or what was done so then to the second part of that question um what what does that look like tangibly um in action what does justice uh look like to you uh, in that regard yeah as an action it, it can it can go a lot of different ways as an action um, it literally means that's literally just taking the time to to right that wrong. I mean, you can go a lot of different ways with that. Where it's either uh, it really, I guess, it just really depends on what it is, because or what you what was done. Mm-hmm. So, but if you want to talk more specifically to what's going on currently, what justice mean looks like for uh, now would be to me personally would be to um, the first step is really acknowledge the issue that we have here. Not try to deflect, not try to run away from the issue, but really acknowledge it. Because through true acknowledgement, that's when true action can happen. And then the action that can take place is then now uh, go and dive into the uh, legislation, go into the the people that's in power, go into creating new laws that will actually change the system that will basically right that wrong that has been done for over 400 years. Until that is done, there won't be any real justice. Mm-hmm. We have to do things that's going to hold people accountable. So like for policing, there has to be laws and legislation put in place that holds them accountable so they do their job in the way that they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. The same way that they expect uh, us as citizens to act, we need the police to be held to the same accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, that's the way I see true justice happening for us. Mm-hmm. Now, I know a lot of people probably have their own take on what that looks like. Some will say reparations, some will say all these other different ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm open to, me personally, I'm open to any of those things, but it has to be done from the top down in order for it to truly make a difference and truly atone for the wrongs that's been done for over 400 years.
passionate about justice for the black community even. Um, and so uh, I'd love to give you uh, just some time to even unpack like what is what is justice for the black community look like? And again, that's a very complex um, <laughs> matter. Um, but I, you know, for, yeah, just for to be able to learn to understand, I'm sure there are people who, who are listening even uh, that would even love to just be able to hear what is what does that look like um yeah from from your perspective yeah man um that in itself um it it is a lot it's a lot to unpack it's a lot to go into Mm. but i really believe the root of it when it comes to justice for the black community it really dives deep into that first part of what uh, my definition of uh what justice is, which is acknowledging the, the issue, mm. acknowledging that there was an issue, and then taking the steps to actually right that wrong. Mm. Um, so, for me, um, growing, I grew up in the South, I'm from Austin, Texas. Uh, so, down, growing up for me in the South, there is very. Um, I lived in, so in Austin, it's a very, it's a metropolitan type city, but mm. there's also suburbs, and it's not rural. There's some areas where it can be a little rural mm. um, and have, you know, farms and all that type of stuff, but for the most part, it's a city, uh, but in that, there's a lot of racially divided areas. Mm. So, for example, the west side of Austin has historically and always been more of the rich side and that side usually you see predominantly uh, white people uh, the east side of Austin um, it's not as much now well it's starting to change a little bit but it was historically the east side of Austin was known as the black side the south was mm-hmm. the Latino Hispanic and then the north side was uh, you you had more of the rural areas before it started becoming um, more big uh, suburban area homes and things like that Mm. what's happening now out there as it is in LA and a lot of other cities Mm. the gentrification where people are going into excuse me real estate agents are going into those black communities and then uh, buying out those homes at a a lower rate Mm. and lower prices and then pushing in those people that were in those areas and now moving to different places so for example in Austin people the, the black families that were there are now moving to the north side of Austin. Mm. So you're starting to see the shift in the dynamic in that aspect. Just like in LA, you're seeing gentrification out in Uber Compton and things like that. Mm. So for me, uh, for justice, it was more of like really just being able to identify um, the, the racial divides, identifying that, okay, in myself, I'm black, and there's certain things I can't do, I can't say, there's certain areas that if I go to, just know, I gotta know that I'm being watched, mm. um, and I, I wrestled with that a lot mm. as a kid, so growing up and getting more closer to, uh, getting to where I am now, that it's, it's just more of really trying to find a way to fix those different things, to mm. where that shouldn't happen. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be a, 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 a point. I should. People, black people, or people of color, should not have to feel as though they have to change who they are mm. in order to uh, be in a certain area, or have to, uh, in a sense, diminish their diminish their right mm. um, in order to make themselves not feel as threatening, or you know. That, that, that's what I mean. So, like, in that, I, I, I want that stigma to change. I, I want that to, I want it to become a, a place, I want our world to become a place where not just black people, but everybody, in mm-hmm. a sense, are able to, you know, be themselves and not have to, in a sense, keep their head on a swivel because mm-hmm. of what they look like. Wow. Thank you, yeah. Thank you for sharing part of your story um, in that. Um, when when did you uh, 
um, begin realizing um, the importance of justice uh, in your life um, and what was even maybe that that point uh, where you realize that you know hey justice is important and you know I've, I've, I've got to do my part in, in pursuing it um, yeah when yeah so when when do you feel like was that was that time for you yeah man um, so for me and these are really big questions by the way I know this is like time on the side I was thinking yeah. about these when you said me beforehand I was like wow okay uh, but no honestly for me I think when it really really hit me about justice uh, was when I was I believe this happened when I was in high school hmm. so um Again, going back to my, my younger days, uh, sports was everything. I played football hmm. from sixth grade up until I was uh, graduated college five years ago. So hmm. football, that was my life. And that's what I did. Wow. Yeah. And one of the people that I admired and I looked up to all the time was Michael Vick. Hmm. You know, Michael Vick was that guy when I was in high school or middle school growing up. Michael Vick was that guy. So you emulated, you tried to, you know, practice his juke moves. You wanted to <laughs> run that 4-3. You wanted to be like him. He just was, he embodied uh, the lifestyle and the black community in the sense because he he wasn't flashy. He was flashy on the field in the sense that he just made you go wild. But mm. he also had that, he was for the culture. He had the, the style with that too. Mm. So, um, when it came to wearing the braids, when it came to the jewelry, the tattoos, things like that, that was that was a cultural thing in a sense mm. uh, in the black community, which is why a lot of the black community was was so drawn to him mm. on top with that. So seeing him in high school go through the uh, when he was at the pinnacle of his career, like the height of it, uh, and then get into the whole dog fighting thing, mm. um, and let me say this straight out what he did was wrong mm. and I, I definitely don't agree with what he did mm. when it came to the dogs and dog fighting and killing the dogs mm. however I think the treatment uh, and the ultimately the sentence he got the maximum amount of that he got was very unjust oh. um, mm. and for me seeing that and seeing his life literally in a sense stripped away and his, his legacy at that point of his career and his life seemingly uh, almost not never going he may not ever play the sport again mm. um, all because of a bad decision that he made and the justice system making a, an example out of him mm. because of the pressure of the public mm. and the way they talked about him demonizing him in the media way people were calling for him to be killed hmm. uh, and, and just have be in prison for a lot of things like that hmm. over uh, over what he did with those animals and, and I, that for me I was like wow that's amazing like this is crazy to me and then you fast forward a couple of years what was it that happened I think 2006 with Michael Ridd hmm. so Eight years later, you got Trayvon Martin. Mm. You got a, a young man that was killed doing nothing, just walking home mm. by uh, a man, a vigilante, uh, and George Zimmerman, and he gets off scot free, mm. and nothing happens to him at all. Yeah, and still after he got off was getting caught up in domestic violence cases with his with his fiance and, and doing these other things I was getting arrested it, it was just like you have on one end you have a, a, a man go to jail for the maximum amount of, cent, uh, amount of time they can give him which was three I think it was three a little bit over three years hmm. when the normal for that was six six months to a year hmm. and then you get a man that kills a young another guy that kills a young black man and gets off scot free. There's there's this underlying message there that yeah. is very that's very clear. Yeah. You you, you kill a you kill a 
kill a black man, you go out free. You kill a dog, you go to jail for for who knows how long. No offense, buts about it. Mm. And for me, that that really it it just became really clear that justice was important, mm. and, it, and it needed to be like I, I couldn't be silent. And that's when I started, you know, speaking mm. up more. And I've always been more of a quiet person, a little bit more shy mm. uh, to speak, or I just would listen and then speak when I feel like I needed to speak. But mm. in those moments, I really I, I became more active mm. for sure. Yeah, I wanna I wanna tap into that moment where you said that uh, you started to speak up and that you realized uh, you couldn't be silent anymore because that's a that's a very powerful moment um, for for people in their lives and um, in in that moment where you decide you know what enough is enough I can't be silent I have to speak up um, what were some fears that you needed to let go of um, or maybe even what were some some barriers between uh, where you were and uh, and and wanting to um, speak up and be active and vocal about the importance of justice. Um, if you don't yeah. mind, yeah, sharing. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the biggest fears that I had to really move past or barriers was understanding that I may lose friends over this. Hmm. I, I may oh. not everybody's going to like what I have to say. And also, because of the history of our country, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of times when people, especially you know people of color or even more specifically black people, mm. when we do speak out, we're automatically labeled or uh, as radical sometimes or. Mm. Uh, the angry black person you know like it, mm. it can I had to kind of let that fear go mm. and that was something I battled with for a while because I didn't want that I've always been in my mind a peacemaker mm. I tried to be yeah um, but you know understanding uh, the reality of what fear is which is false evidence appearing real that was something that my mom taught me mm. at a young age helped me to be able to kind of step into that fear and, and, and conquer it mm. and be okay with it because at the end of the day if God puts something on your heart like that when it comes to justice yeah. uh, he's going to meet you there mm. and if those people if there's people that fall off or people that get mad at you and don't want to be you know cool or friendly with you anymore because of that they weren't necessarily meant to be in your life long term mm. anyway. Wow. And then that maybe it may even get you to you may have to even really reevaluate why were they in your life in the first place. <laughs> you know, wow. so yeah. it's just it's things like that that I had to get over and once I got to that point, um I was able to kind of move forward in it. Now, fear doesn't ever go away. You're still gonna always be nervous, there's always gonna be hesitation. But it doesn't mean you don't keep going and keep moving forward in it, though. Mm. You know, given the opportunity to provide some encouragement, um, even some advice uh, for anyone who may be listening in and might be in that place where um, maybe they they still aren't sure uh, about justice or matters about social justice, or uh, they are passionate about some things but don't quite know what it looks like to to take action to speak up. Uh, would you have any encouragement uh, for students out there right now who don't know uh, how to how to take action, um, or maybe want to but are still held back? Uh, would you Would you have any advice or encouragement uh, for those for those students? Yeah. Um, so if you're you're still if you're in that place where you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this? Where do I go? Where do I start? Honestly, the best thing to do is really to, you know, start engaging in, 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 in not necessarily jumping right into the conversation 
uh, full steam ahead mm. because you don't want to jump into something that you're not ready yet. Mm. You want to get to, you want to kind of, in a sense, start diving into research, go into, start taking some classes, start talking to people that are, or put yourself in a situation where you're around people that are having these conversations mm. uh, when it comes to justice. When you, you want to be surround yourself and uh, surround yourself in uh, a place or put yourself in a place where you're able to start sucking up a lot of information or soaking up a lot of information mm. from those that have been doing it. Mm. Uh, and that way you can find your voice. Hmm. Uh, because the one thing that you don't want to do is mimic somebody else's hmm. and I think that's a problem uh, a lot of the younger generations or my generation as well as a lot of people they want to get in the conversation they want to dive into you know creating justice for people and wholeheartedly they start out you know pure hmm. in that however how can you truly create justice for somebody else if you're not really speaking your truth, you're speaking someone else's? Mm. So you got to kind of find your own voice, you got to find your own truth, you got to find what it is you're passionate about before you actually speak. But sometimes that takes self-reflection and diving into who you are mm. and what it is that makes you tick, what it is that makes you go forward um, before you can really truly speak on something. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to just to even wrap wrap up our conversation, um, is there any final thoughts, uh, any final piece of advice or any encouragement that uh, you would you would like to offer to, to anyone who's listening right now? Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. When you if you if you have a heart for justice, honestly, at the end of the day, we're all called to to pursue justice. Yeah. I think that um, God came down here for us mm. uh, to to give us a place where we can you know give give us uh, to basically free us and, and make it to where we're able to actually be with him uh, everlasting life and have that everlasting life. Mm. Uh, in a lot of ways he uh, he showed us how to pursue justice, even though he was not, he did no wrong. He still was. He he stood in the midst of that for us. Hmm. So, being, I guess, the best advice I can give is uh, really just really taking the opportunity to dive into one yourself and find out what it is that you're passionate about what it is that God is calling you towards, what it is mm. that you really feel led to pursue mm. and then speak towards that. Mm. And, uh, and in that also being able to find balance and mm. how you do it. Because mm. a lot of times an issue that can come up is um, trying too hard or pushing too hard or doing too much to where your message is lost. So being able to have really growing your emotional intelligence or EQ to mm. know when to fight a battle, when not to fight a battle, and also just being mm. able to, that's going to help you in the long run um, at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Uh, so really just... One, find, find, find your, mm. your passion, find your goal, find what it is that God's really leading you towards mm. when it comes to justice, but even also finding balance and what it is that, um, of how you pursue that justice mm. at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Aubrey, uh, for your time, uh, for your willingness to share your words they've been very valuable um and i've and i've learned um and gained gained something new from this conversation so thank you so much for uh anyone who's listening in right now and you're and you're wondering uh and wanting to dive even maybe a little bit deeper into 
the topics that Aubrey brought up, um, including uh, about racial justice um, and uh, racial reconciliation. Um, there will be resources on the Anchor FM website that you can go on to um, and, and dive and take a, a little bit of a closer look um, on those issues. Um, so, Aubrey, thank you once again. Keep speaking up. For sure, man. Thank you. And keep doing what you're doing, man. I like this, this uh, podcast you got going on. Uh, I'm excited for you and seeing how far you take it. So, continue, continue fighting for good fight. Thank you. I appreciate you. We'll talk to you again soon.